Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Judith Schaft, the Executive Director of the Commission on Science, Innovation and Technology, and Steve Anglin, the co-founder and CEO of We Solar CSP Inc. So why don't we start with Judith. I'm currently the executive director of the New Jersey Commission on Science, Innovation, and Technology. And as a state-funded uh, agency and commission, we really make a focus on helping early-stage innovation-intensive businesses, whether it's clean tech, life sciences, advanced materials, what have you. It's really all around working with and supporting innovation-based early stage companies. We have a number of grant programs available that I can talk about a little bit uh, a little bit later. Before joining uh, the commission, I had spent uh, some time at New Jersey Institute of Technology and their Innovation Institute. So I've got a good background in terms of how to navigate higher ed and how startups and entrepreneurs can really take advantage of the great New Jersey universities to help propel their activities forward. And before that, I had uh, worked at AT&T and their semiconductor, uh, semiconductor division. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Judith. Uh, Steve, Steve Anglin, go ahead. Well, James, thank you again for inviting me onto your podcast and uh, just doing these live conversations. I've known you for not as long as everyone else, but the relationship's very close and I really appreciate it. So um, I'm the CEO of a company called We Solar CSP. Uh, we, base, we are a concentrated solar power, that's what CSP stands for. And what we do is we use thermal heat, which is uh, generated and concentrated from the sun, uh, to uh, produce steam that turns a turbine and we can use that to hybridize coal powered um, coal-fired power plants, and um, you can also use that for uh, clean hydrogen, for thermal energy storage or long-duration storage, and also water desal. So those are the things that um, we are seeing that there's a big demand for that with the growth of renewable energy in America uh, and around the world. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion and uh, having Judith on the phone. We've been talking back and forth, and, and yeah, we are in the process of raising funds and I can talk a little bit about my experiences with that as well. And Thank tell you. us about what you did before you took over and started to be sold. Yeah, so for about 20-something years, I was on Wall Street. So I was in OTC derivatives, fixed income, uh, trade-in, collateral risk management, um, IT, uh, uh, project management. And um, so I did that for many years. And Use that experience. I actually studied overseas quite a bit as well uh, once I did my executive MBA. And uh, yeah, so I think that all of that and the fact that I was born and raised in England, bringing that experience here to America has, um, you know, given me the right platform to run this company and really take it to the next level. I feel very humble and fortunate to be in a position where, you know, I'm placed with that responsibility to be able to bring clean energy to not just America, but to the folks that have been left out of the energy transition. I think that's something that, um, you know, we're looking to really build on, whether it be Puerto Rico, the American Indians, even people in um, inner cities that are not um, experiencing this kind of uh, uh, energy wealth. 
Right. So he's really talking about environmental justice in terms of being able exactly. to ensure that we're not just taking these great technologies and cherry picking which communities and which individuals get an opportunity to take advantage of the new technology, but really from an environmental justice basis, we're, we're, we're providing equal access and opportunity to everyone. And I think one of the other, you know, comments I was on a you know webinar earlier today that people were talking about is making sure that as first world or developed countries, we're, we're helping other people who are trying to move up that economic standpoint, get access to the technologies that they need so that they can also be clean, good citizens, but they need to have the energy and the technology to drive their economic development as well. Yeah, and that's that's a good segue. Why don't you both, why don't we start with you, Judith, give us sort of the uh, overview of how you see the clean tech renewables sector, uh, you know, coming from a few years ago to today. So I really want to say, you know, certainly with the new Biden administration, there's a, a renewed focus on clean tech, clean energy. The U.S. is getting back into, into the, uh, <coughs> you know, the Paris Climate Accord. So we're getting more in, back engaged with the rest of the international community. I think we're starting to see that the renewable sector is probably targeted to grow somewhere, you know, five to six percent over the next, you know, the next five years. But in addition to sort of federal things that are happening, you're seeing both individual states and cities who are themselves stepping up and saying, these are the goals that we have for our city, or these are the goals that we have for our state. Back in uh, 2019, uh, Governor Murphy announced the New Jersey Energy Master Plan that has a very uh, goal of being 100% uh, you know, clean energy by 2050. So that's the direction that the state is moving towards. And I would certainly you know, encourage everyone who's interested in that sector to understand where is New Jersey going in terms of the kinds of projects and direction to go on to the governor's website. You can find all of the, uh, you know, all the documentations around it. And I think we're starting to see, you know, the cost of clean energy renewables coming down, making them more competitive with some of the other types of uh, energy sources that are out there and available. And, and one last thing, Jim, you know, some of the things that people are now starting to talk about is really climate tech. So it's not just clean energy, clean technology, but the same way we can, we've now started to talk about health tech technologies. We're talking about climate tech technologies because it's everything from the kinds of things that Steve talked about that we solar is doing to the kinds of technologies that an individual consumer might be using, whether it's monitoring smart stuff in their home. So it's a whole value chain of technologies as part of this industry. Thank you for that. So I'd like to, I'd like to just um, follow on from there. So that's a really good question, uh, James. When you talk about where was renewables seven to 10 years ago as to where they are today. <clears throat> and I think when you look at that question, you have to break it up into different parts of the world. So I think uh, in America, we've really <clears throat> been focused on fossil fuels, the oil companies, the gas companies. They're very big here. They do drive that economy for us. However, in other parts of the world, I think there's um, been more of an acceptance uh, towards renewables. And you have countries like China, even though they do have the largest percentage of fossil fuels, they also have the largest percentage of renewables. And they're really doing something over there. I was just over there a couple of years ago. 
And to see what they're doing is actually incredible. And I'm so glad that we have an administration that's supporting them. Seven to 10 years ago in the US, there wasn't very much concentrated solar power. I think there was a couple of projects under the Obama administration um, that, you know, it wasn't cost effective, it was expensive. The economics weren't there. I think a lot of funding went towards photovoltaics and PV. But where, we, where do we stand today? We, we, we look at the, um, the this market that is huge. Um, we look at Texas, the place in California, and, and a part of that has a lot to do with renewables. I mean, people try to blame on renewables, but what I think is that Texas obviously didn't prepare for the, the freezing of their turbines and even the liquid natural gas froze. That's one thing, but I think that if they had storage, some sort of storage, I think this would have been alleviated. So when the power went down, they could still run the electricity. The market that what, um, Judith is referring to, this is a global market. And I mean, the number, I'm going to give you a very conservative number as to where this is going. I think there is an energy transition. We're looking at two to three trillion dollars in that's going to really just change everything when it comes to renewable, when it comes to energy production. I think the world is pretty much done with coal. Um, and so there's lots of ways to deal with that. I think countries are phasing it out. But um, I think the coal is gone. And I think that everyone's looking to what do we need to fill that gap? Um, so what I'd like to say is when you look at one last thing is when you look at today in America and with this new administration, I totally agree with Judah. Um, you have like the, the, the Department of Energy that just put um, Kelly Speaks Backlund in, who's amazing. They've got Jigga Shaw that's just yep. been appointed to the loan program, which these guys are going to start to delve out money to companies, not my company, but companies that are innovating in the renewable energy space, which they probably were struggling before. But we do need to, we do need to come up with new solutions. And, you know, I'm just happy to be a part of that. Yeah, and why don't you, and thank you for that, but why don't you, uh, Steve, talk about your company and how you see your company fit in that larger ecosystem. Okay, so we sold CSP. Uh, we, we, um, <laughs> we've actually had a really, really good month and we've closed one deal, we're getting ready to close another deal. And how do we fit into this picture? So concentrated solar power is... Um, Usually it's utility size, either parabolic troughs or power towers, which are heliostats or a tower in the middle. What we've done is we've totally flipped that on its head. We, our technology, which is called the ASC, or um, see, it's more um, disruptive because it's actually scalable. It's much smaller. So we can do up to 300 kilowatts or even smaller than that. So we can do it for farms, uh, rural locations. We really specialize in microgrids. I think that's where there's a big gap. Um, so you can be off the grid and still have renewable energy. And then the big thing for us is um, long duration energy storage. So we have the capability to produce, one, once the sun goes down, we can then produce, um, generate electricity through storage um, that could last for up to 12 hours. So that covers the entire night. And even if the, the sun's gone for a couple of days or several hours, if it's cloudy, we could still produce electricity. So I think those are the things that are disruptive, uh, and that's the things that we can do. The other thing that our company does, and, and those deals that we signed were with the municipality, so that's real. 
if you sign a deal with a company, that's one thing. But when you sign with a city in America, that means, yeah, now you've got technology where cities are saying, we like this, we want this, and we've got municipalities and we've got utility companies that are talking to us because they want to get off the grid and they're looking at microgrids. Uh, and the last thing is green hydrogen. So what's green hydrogen? The whole world is looking at another source of fuel. And so we can actually split water through thermolysis to provide hydrogen. Hydrogen is made today, but it's a lot of hydrocarbons are produced and carbon dioxide when they make it. So the key is to make it in a green way. And that could be used as a fuel instead of using gas, burning gas. So those are like the main things. And we've just had a very, very good month. Um, yeah, so I think that's it. That is really exciting, uh, Steve. Okay, Judith, tell us now, there's a lot of more, a lot more money coming down uh, from the state and federal levels for entrepreneurs in general, but specifically those involved in clean tech and renewables. Can you give us an overview? Sure. So, you know, one of the first places you always like to tell entrepreneurs who are looking for funding is try to find non-dilutive funding first. If you can get grants from either the state or the federal government where they're not going to take a portion of equity out of your company, try to go to those sources first. At the federal level, one program that is really very important is the SBIR, STTR program. And the Department of Energy, National Science Foundation, uh, National Institutes of Health, Department of Defense, all provide SBIR, STTR grants to small businesses. And at the federal level, they define a small business as 500 employees or less. So some of those small businesses could actually be pretty large. And I, I did it before I, I joined this call. I did just a quick look. Last The last two years in the state of New Jersey, we had 25 SBIR, STTR awards specifically from the Department of Energy to New Jersey-based companies. And that was out of a total of about close to 1,300 awards. So we know that there's a a great distance that we could be doing in New Jersey to try to get more small businesses applying for some of these federal grants. And, And part of what we're trying to do from the commission is helping them be more effective in applying to get some of the federal funding. There's also opportunities from the Commission on Science, Innovation, and Technology. We have two open clean tech grant solicitations, and you can find information about the solicitations on our website. And in fact, next week on March 16th, we're doing an information session on the voucher program. We have two programs. The Clean Tech Seed Grant Program provides $75,000, up to $75,000 in funding for a company who's applying for a seed grant to do some research and development at the Department of Energy level, TRL level three, through seven. Because again, we're trying to get smaller companies. We don't want the big companies. They've got other sources of funding. The second program, the voucher program, will help offset the cost, again, for small companies to access university facilities. So whether it's Rutgers or Princeton or NJIT, Rowan, uh, Stevens, Montclair, who may have some specialized equipment on site, and you'd like as a small business to be able to utilize that equipment, we have a voucher program that will help offset the cost. So instead of having to pay 100% of the cost, you may either pay only 50% or 25%, depending on, on the size of the business. And as I said, we've got detailed information on our website about that. 
Some other sources to potentially look for is there's an organization called BIRD, B-I-R-D, which is the BIRD Foundation, which is U.S.-Israel collaboration. And again, generally it's for companies who are a little further along, but you can find an Israeli partner to collaborate with. The BIRD Foundation will kick in 50% of the cost of doing these projects. Uh, the U.S. East Coast rep, Andrea Yona, is a great resource to help make connections if you need some people in Israel that you're thinking that this might be a great technology that I have that I'd like to work with an Israeli uh, thing. The other thing to think about for businesses that they don't always think about in terms of state, other state funding is the opportunity to get the U.S., the New Jersey Department of Labor to help cover the costs of interns or some of the training programs that you might need to do. If you're going to be hiring college interns, there's some internship programs, which again, because we're trying to keep all this great New Jersey talent in New Jersey. So those are other, other funding resources that can be available uh, for companies to take a look at. And these apprenticeship and intern programs are on the New Jersey Department of Labor's website. That's great. Thank you for that. Is there, but is there anything at the federal level that people should keep their eyes out for? Well, certainly, as I said, the federal SBIR, STTR programs, and then ARPA-E, you know, which is the Department of Energy has, you know, different programs and challenges that they can take, you know, that they can take a look at. Okay, great. And I know, Steve, you were involved with the Biden uh, inaugural ball or something related to that. Do you know of anything um, outside of what Judith just uh, mentioned as far as funding initiatives, um, either at the federal level or, as we know, there's a funding coming from some rich billionaires. Yeah, so as far as the uh, Biden inauguration committee, uh, that's been um, really um, a windfall for us, unexpected actually, because it was just the inaugural ball. But since then, um, as far as funding is concerned, I think there is a lot of money out there. And there, from what I understand, what's happened is we've met with some Congress, Congress people in the Energy and Commerce Committee, and they're pushing us, specifically us, because there's a, there's a group called the EEI, stands for Edison Energy Initiative, and there's funding there. I mean, especially for minority-owned companies. It's a federal program. It's basically all of the investor-owned utilities belong to this group and they are always looking for companies that that are innovating around energy because they're kind of forced to buy the energy if, if it can be done there's certain rules like purpose certain rules like that that they have to buy the electricity um and i was on a conversation yesterday with um, some folks who are very interested in you know doing work in puerto, puerto rico and there's um very a lot of funding out there that's been appropriated to to islands, and they've actually said, "Look, we'll, use, we'll get, take the help from anyone." But we're talking about billions of dollars uh, that's sitting in appropriations for for places like Puerto Rico that need clean energy, that need wastewater management treatment, that are looking for um, all kinds of things. There's no lights down there, so it's you know people have kind of forgotten about it, but it's still falling. So, uh, yeah, there is a lot of funding. Okay, great. And before I forget, uh, maybe Judith, you can mention, mm -hmm. I was reading about all the wind initiatives uh, as far as um, supporting, obviously, the growth of that industry off the coast of New Jersey. 
Can you talk about that in general or? Um... You know, so, so absolutely. There's a big wind port development down in South Jersey to be able to do development to put up wind turbines. Part of it is also going to be involved with really jobs for this new clean energy economy. You know, Steve had talked about some of the jobs and some of the areas are going away. So that how do we retrain people so that they can get jobs, you know, associated with some of the things that we're trying to do with, uh, you know, with offshore wind in uh, in New Jersey. So there's big real, you know, there's a big real estate development aspect and, you know, some construction and other uh, other activities associated around the wind port. They also have a, uh, a website that you can, uh, you know, for the clean energy that you can, again, find on the New Jersey uh, state site to get information about all of the work that, uh, that they're doing. But clearly, when we think about the clean economy, it's not only, the, you know, the new technologies, but it's what are the new jobs that people are going to be able to, uh, to move into. Great. Yeah, you know, the other piece, you know, EV, electrical vehicle. Yeah, that's yeah. so. I'd like to just say one more quick thing. I didn't finish up with that. So there's one fund out there that's um, that was started by Acon. It's called the Black Sunrise Fund, and I forgot to mention this was actually mentioned at the Biden inauguration. Um, and this fund was started by Acon. I, I throw into the size; it's in the seven hundred to eight hundred million dollars, and it's specifically focused on retiring coal plants in America and. They're, the money a lot is going to be used to hire uh, black and minorities to be a part of this new economy and new jobs and sort of to retrain people that are being let go or losing their job because of coronavirus. But we, you know, there's a whole new sector that's coming up. So that one I didn't talk about, but I do want to give a plug to Acon what he's doing. He's doing some great things out there. Yeah, thank you for that. All right, let's talk about entrepreneurs uh, and and funding. Uh, what what are we? It's obviously been a uh, a tough year for so many, right? And uh, although many entrepreneurs have pivoted and uh, sort of transformed their businesses and are doing okay, thankfully. Um, so tell us in general tips for um, for entrepreneurs. So Judith, you've you've been working in the entrepreneurship field for many many years. What do you see what are you seeing and what guidance are you giving entrepreneurs in general? Sure. So, I mean, I think early on, everybody was afraid that, you know, money wasn't going to happen. I think there was guidance that had come out from some of the big, uh, you know, VC firms that they were holding their money for their current portfolio companies. That has certainly eased up over the last year. And I know I've talked to a number of angel investors who said they've done deals where they met people online. They never ended up having an in-person conversation. So we've certainly seen a recovery from that perspective. As an entrepreneur, it is critically important that you do your homework. There's lots of information out there, whether it's a VC firm or an angel investor that you're talking to. Make sure you know what are they interested in so that you're pitching the right business to the right investor. Some people have no interest in clean tech because that's got somewhat of a longer uh, investment horizon. So they want something quicker. So you make sure you're talking to the right investors and have your decks and all of your information really crisply put together. And kind of one simple tip is make sure you've got your email and your phone number prominently located so that 
if someone wants to get back in touch with you, they're not having to do a Google search to figure out like, how do I find this person? I want to follow back up with them. That's great. And now as an entrepreneur uh, that started later in life, and you've seen a lot over the past few years, Steve, tell us some of the things, you know, some of the insights you've learned and you can share with other entrepreneurs. All right. So lessons learned. Um, uh, a lot of the things that we've done with Solo, we pretty much did it on our own, right? We bootstrapped a lot of it. Some of the folks have uh, put in but a lot of this blood, sweat, and uh, sweat equity. Um, I really like what Judith said. Uh, I really believe that, you know, you can't do it by yourself, right? Especially in our field and, and really recognizing your team. And if you are able to bring a, a good team in, um, then that's why I say you start with because you can't do it by yourself. And I'm very, very fortunate. Shout out to the Solo team. Um, they're amazing. And uh, so my lessons learned is, you know, I went from one sector to another completely different sector, which is um, very hard to do. And yeah, I just say you just really go for it. Don't, don't be scared. Uh, I would say if you want to do something, live your dream. I was going to say the same later on, but... Die with memories, not with dreams. <laughs> so that, that's what I would say. Um, because at the end of the day, you just have to do it. If you think I can do this or shouldn't do it, then, you know, even if you don't have the money. And as you can hear, um, with Judith, there's money out there now. Um, and, it, you know, it's still hard to access it. And definitely, I've heard one guy say, I've pitched 200 times and I've got 200 no's. So you just can't give up, right? Um, and it is about funding, but you have to have a good idea and you have to surround yourself with really smart people and good people that are passionate about what you're doing. So those are my lessons I would say. And don't give up because it's easy to give up. It's not easy to do this. I would never say, you know, this is not an easy thing to be an entrepreneur, um, but um, the rewards are amazing. And the things and the people that I've seen is, is just to be a part of that is really amazing. And I think, Steve, you highlight, you know, an entrepreneur that's not just out of college. So entrepreneurs can happen throughout one's life. Statistics are showing, frankly, that, that those who start businesses later on in the 30s and 40s are successful than those who are younger. So I want to make sure I not point out so, your... Just, I agree with you. I, I wanted to say that, but I will, I'd like to agree with what you're saying. Um, because of all the experiences, you know, uh, going to undergrad, working on Wall Street for 20-something years, going to grad school, you know, traveling around the world. So now when I sit in this position of the CEO, I can look at a balance sheet. I can, I understand and I'm calm when things start to go crazy uh, because I've seen it all before. But that doesn't mean you can't start a company in your 20s or 30s. Um, so, yeah, there's many ways to skin the cat. You know, what I would say, and I'm really big on this, is, you know, open up yourself, network with people, um, because you never know who you're talking to. They may be able to help you. Um, again, so even even with you, James. <laughs> well, we so, so let me just kind of build off of that. When, when Steve is talking about networking, as an entrepreneur, you need to be able to simply have that one or two sentences what you do so that when you're talking to people, they can help make the connections for you. Don't give me all the science of 
the hydrogen storage, here's how we make it kind of stuff, because that's going to go like over my head. But if I can know crisply what he's doing, then when I see other opportunities, I'll be able to go like, oh, I need to connect Steve with this person because this is, you know, this is what they're doing. So you need to be able to have that crisp, short description of what you do to help make your networking effective. Yeah, no, that, that's some great advice. And we have, we're going to get some questions shortly. But before we do, I know you've listed a bunch of, of tips there. But if you can share just one thing, just one tip uh, that you want people to remember from our conversation for entrepreneurs, uh, why don't we start with ladies first? Go ahead, uh, Judith. What one tip? I would say, you know, the one tip for entrepreneurs is do your homework, be prepared. You only have, you know, one chance to make a first impression. So, you know, make sure you're doing the best you possibly can. Do your homework. Great. And Steve? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my advice would be don't give up on the dream. So don't give up. It, it, it's a lot of uh, startups don't make it and you have to have steadfastness and believe in what you're doing. So I think that and surround yourself with a good team. That, that's what I'm saying. That's great. Do the research and don't give up and, and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. I like that. That's that. Those are great tips. Um, so now let's get to the questions. One, the first question is a technical question. It's about the storage technology, Steve. So can you talk about, you know, what that is in as layman terms as you possibly can for all this? Yeah, so our storage is, um, you know, there's many different types of long duration storage. A lot of people are familiar with molten salt, which is, you know, a salt that you have to keep very hot. And it, once it gets below, I think, 220 centigrade, it freezes. This is not the technology we use. We use um, ceramics, basalts, and other very affordable, uh, very inexpensive materials that we heat up uh, through concentrating the heat. Some we can heat these things up to very high temperatures. And then throughout the day, we keep it very hot. And then uh, when the sun goes down, we can then push um, cold air to push up the heat and then it goes out and then we heat it up through steam and it goes into a, a turbine. So that, that's the technology that we use. Um, and we also work with other companies that do long duration storage. If it makes sense to bring in another company, but our technology is up to 10 to 12 hours of long duration storage. Um, yeah, and so speaking of storage, did I just remark with Elon Musk who's got Put like storage in Texas. Uh, yeah, I did. I read that too. So, so effectively, what what Elon is doing is battery storage, and um, so battery storage is a little bit different than what we did. And battery storage, and they have the utility size storage um, facilities that um, that are in Arizona. They're all over. They're starting to pop up all over the place. The thing is, some of them are lithium ion, some of them are vanadium. Some of them are cobalt and flow batteries. It's, it's all these different types. For the utility size ones that Elon's talking about, they're very expensive. They're not cheap. And sometimes it takes away from the economics of even doing a solar, solar farm. But what he's saying is, and I, I agree that storage is the problem, right? Um, that needs to be solved with renewables, the intermittency of renewables. So, but with Elon Musk, we're talking about what? 20, 19 to 20 cents per kilowatt hour. That's actually really expensive. 
But I think with the technologies, they keep on improving, the costs will come down. And I think that's where our technology kind of, it's cheaper than that. And it lasts for like 15, 20, 25 years. So we have that advantage today. I think over time, I think the battery technology with Elon Musk and, and all the different technologies and all the money that's going to be put into this, that cost will come down. And then honestly, there's going to be a need for all the different types of storage technology. So yeah, Elon is a very smart guy. Um, and, uh, you know, there's going to be a need for his tech. And not only here, Australia, in Germany, he's doing it everywhere. Right. And so um, here's a question for Judith, actually. What, what has been your most successful methods for engaging your audience and raising awareness? Now, you should give some backstory. You took over, or, you know, just recently. And so raising awareness is a really important job of yours. So can you speak to that? Sure. You know, so again, uh, I, I joined the Commission on Science, Innovation and Technology a little over a year ago, and we were just sort of just getting started and boom, COVID hit. So we you know, certainly had, you know, we're moving into, uh, you know, challenging times for that, you know, from that perspective. But I think in terms of raising awareness, you got to use a lot of different channels, whether it's social media in terms of getting things out on on Twitter and, and LinkedIn groups and you know traditional uh, you know press releases and working with people like Esther and others to, you know to get stories written but then also figuring out where's the audience of the people that you want to meet so whether it's connecting with the different meetup groups around New Jersey you know trying to get on panels that like like this show, Jim, or other organizations who are running different events to just kind of keep beating the drum so that people know what is the message, what is it that you're trying to, to talk about. I think sometimes for entrepreneurs, they don't realize when they've got opportunities to perhaps make a press release to say, hey, we've accomplished this kind of thing. Because again, when I used to work at NJIT and I was working with entrepreneurs who were in our, uh, our business incubator, they might tell me, hey, we've just achieved this or we just got this big SBIR grant award. And I'd say, oh, it sounds like you should be issuing a press release or getting some information out. And they go like, what? You know, like, again, sometimes people that are really very much, uh, you know, technology focused may not appreciate the marketing and the communication side of what you, what you need to do. But you kind of need to build that awareness. You also need a website. Believe it or not, you know, we'll, People will look you up on different platforms. And if you don't have a website, they're going to go like, well, how, you know, like, where's the website? Where's the person? Check your LinkedIn profiles. Make sure those are up to date. Show, you know, show where you're working, those kinds of things as well. That's all. That's all good. And, and, and bring that home, Judith. What's been your biggest challenge as far as communications about your organization? You know, I mean, I certainly think some of the biggest challenge, you know, that we've had to date certainly has been, you know, dealing with, with, you know, with COVID. And certainly I want to say within New Jersey, many entrepreneurs have been, you know, significantly affected, not only the technology entrepreneurs, but community based, uh, you know, small businesses, you know, the whole gamut. And so sometimes people are just anxious for any kind of funding. So we have a couple of times seen people who thought that programs that the commission was doing might be appropriate for them when we had to really redirect them to other resources uh, 
you know, that the state, you know, that the state has, because really this COVID pandemic has had a really devastating effect on all of our small businesses. And I'd certainly like to give a shout out as we're now seeing some opportunities. I think it's March 19th that some of the restaurants are going to be opening up their capacity a little bit more. So certainly I'd like to say, you know, support your local businesses to the extent that it aligns with your health requirements. You've gotten your shots, you're able to go out and support those local businesses. Otherwise they won't be there, you know, a year from now. Yeah, that, that's certainly for sure. Now, when you um, look at other states and, and organizations that are similar to the one you lead, Judith, where do you look? Who, who's doing it well? Yeah, so when, when we do when we do benchmark and we look at our peer neighbor states, so we'll look at what's happening in Pennsylvania. We'll look at New York. We'll look at uh, at Maryland. Uh, we might look at Virginia, North Carolina. You know, some of the programs. You know, California, Texas, Ma- you know, Massachusetts. You know, some of them have you know some slightly different programs. Some of the things I will. Certainly say on the clean tech program, we benchmarked with what other states were doing. We also, and I know, you know we talked a little bit about the Department of Energy. We also benchmarked with some of the Department of Energy programs. They used to have a, a clean tech program where small innovators could work with uh, research people at some of the Department of Energy labs. I think we're going to see some of those new programs, again, with some of the people that Steve talked about moving into positions in the Department of Energy. They're going to make some of those federal lab programs, uh, you know, available as well for, for innovators and, and, and entrepreneurs. Great, great. So can I just jump in? Can I just jump in really quickly? So when, um, when we talk about the the Department of Energy, I want to say some good news. I think I can say this. We just yesterday signed an EDA to do some work with uh, NREL. So part of this has to do with, if you're in clean tech, depending on what you're doing, it really is important to be Vetted and sort of get the rubber stamp that your technology actually works. <laughs> so, um, so those are the things that we're doing, right? We're getting, we've been actually through DLR, MadStar, and some other really good international groups. But now to get it from the US, we have a very strong relationship with Sandia Labs, which is another big uh, yeah. concentrated solar power um, national lab in America, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So it, it's, for an entrepreneur, if you're interested in clean tech, if you want to work with solar, I'm happy to uh, reach out to me. We're always looking for talent. Um, but yeah, I think this is a wonderful time, especially with the, the sea change of the uh, administration. I'm not saying the administration didn't do anything, but this administration is absolutely on its front foot. And you can see, by the way, the people that are being hired. Um, and you just can't sit on your butt. You have to get up and do something. If you want to do it, you want to change your career. If you feel like you're doing the wrong job or you feel like you're being pushed out or you feel like your skills aren't appropriate to what's going on today, this is the area that's growing. Really, it's healthcare, technology, and renewable energy. So that's, that's what I have to say. Thanks, Thank you, Steve. There's a question about green hydrogen. Um, how far out is the green hydrogen uh, technology from a wide-scale rollout? Uh, really quickly, green hydrogen is it's starting today. So when I say we start, everyone's putting the infrastructure, the money in today for projects that are going to pop up in five to seven years. Um, I read yesterday morning that Saudi Arabia has just um, – 
allocated uh, a plot of land in a country the size of Belgium, the size of Belgium, just to make green hydrogen. So what they're saying is they want to have less dependence on oil and more dependence on green hydrogen. So I think that, um, and then you look at countries like Germany, they're putting in all the infrastructure. So why hydrogen? So hydrogen is a really good fuel to use, to burn, to, to create steam, to turn turbines. So the fossil fuel companies, like the big ones, um, they, they say, okay, well, we can go from oil to green hydrogen. So the, the question was, when do you think it's gonna happen? It's definitely gonna happen, but it won't happen for, I would say five, seven years down the road. But by then it's too late to get into that space. So what we're doing, and I can't tell you the names of the companies we're talking to, we can create green hydrogen through splitting water, splitting the atoms, uh, and siphon off the hydrogen. And what we would do is just be a supplier of the hydrogen to bigger companies that are in that space. Um, but there's a, this is definitely going to happen. I think some of the problems with hydrogen is that when you, it's very hard to store. I mean, to make it liquid, right? It's very, you know, so may, or maybe you have to turn it into ammonia to ship it and then re-turn it back into hydrogen. So countries that are really big in this, Japan, China, I think hydrogen is a definite, definite um, product for the future. Uh, and, and we're in that space as well. Right. Now, now, can you just explain, Steve, is, is solar energy the cleanest uh, way to, to make green hydrogen or is there more than one way? Yeah, so there's... Um, <clears throat> There is uh, the, the way that it's done today. So there's green hydrogen, there's blue hydrogen, there's brown hydrogen. So, but um, green hydrogen is obviously taking the sun, whether you take solar panels or what we have, and you, you take that and then you take the heat and then you store electricity and you split the water into hydrogen and oxygen, and then you siphon off the hydrogen. So that's the green way. Um, the, the way it's done today, actually, they use something called methane. Um, methane, can't think of the last part, but they, it's actually really dirty. And it actually, for every, say, every ton of hydrogen you produce is like two tons of methane. So it's really dirty. And methane is probably the worst gas for the atmosphere, for the, um, for the greenhouse gases. It's really bad. So that's what's being done. There's blue hydrogen. So the methane that's being produced on the carbon dioxide when they make hydrogen that's actually captured through sequestration. And so that's called blue hydrogen. So there's all these different types. So solar is, in my opinion, the cleanest way to do it, um, but it's still an expensive process to do it. Like not, the, not the sun, but the electrolysis. Those machines are really expensive. Uh, and over time that will come down. But um, yeah, I, I don't think solar is dirty, but, but the way it's being done today is pretty dirty to create hydrogen. Okay, um, thanks for that clarification. There's a question about uh, fossil fuels. Um, they've been subsidized directly and indirectly for a century. Um, and the support for clean solar energy is trivial in comparison. Where do you think such support should come from? Look, I think that at the end of the day, fossil fuel companies are scrambling. This morning, there was a story that Europe will now come out, <clears throat> they will not make any more petrol or diesel cars in Europe starting from 2030. That's nine years from now. 
So I'm not saying the only use of petrol fuels is for gasoline. There's lots of other uses for oil. But the oil companies, they have to be panicking. So even if they're being subsidized by in America, I think that the, they're, they're really in trouble. I think that they're looking at ways to, to, get, to get out and, and look at other, maybe get into renewable energy or get into green hydrogen. So the funding for renewable energy companies, you know, I think we talked about this already. I think we can look to the state government. There's, in my opinion, what we're doing, we're looking at everyone. Uh, private angels, we're looking at VC companies. Private equity, we're, we're a little bit too early for private equity. So private equity is a little bit later in the life cycle of a company like ours. You know, we get to the alphabet of series A, series B and all that stuff. But for the early stage entrepreneurs or early stage companies, I think it's really mainly um, angel companies um, and venture capital money uh, and, and family offices. And sometimes, you know, you have the big investment banks like Goldman or BlackRock. All of these companies are committed to ESG. So they are also, and it's funny, conversation, I don't want to mention the company I was talking to, but we had a conversation this morning it's a very, very big investment bank. And they basically said they made a lot of mistakes in the past. They were not getting downstream early with these early stage companies like a Tesla, for instance, and they weren't funding them. And then they become really big and then it's too late. So now these companies, the big ones, they're looking at smaller companies, maybe an entrepreneur, a great idea, and they're looking to fund it. So the answer to the question is, you know, you want to try and get angels, but there's some big banks that are willing to listen uh, to a good idea. And if it makes sense, they'll, they'll give you money. Yeah, so I think really to follow up on what Steve said, you know, about the, is that some of the big corporates are taking their own venture investment arms and are looking to make investments as a way to, you know, bring technology into their corporation to address some of the challenges. So, you know, so Shell and, you know, again, all these big, companies will have their own corporate investment arms. And so those could conceivably also be places to look for funding for entrepreneurs who have got technologies that are addressing, you know, specific needs that, that the corporations are having. They're really as much a strategic investor as looking at it from a financial return perspective. Great. Thanks for that, Judith. All right. So let's do this. I've been asking for poems and or quotes from our guests. So um, I'm going to start with you, Judith. Ladies first, go ahead. Tell us something. So again, you know, so one of the quotes that I really like, and I'm not sure whether who to really attribute it to is the two line quote. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Really speaking to the power of collaboration and partnerships. Great. Thank you, Judith. All right, Steve. Okay, so um, I think I, I used one already, which was die with memories and, and, uh, and you don't want to die without dreams, right? So um, another one that I know, which is kind of a good one, is uh, love for all, hatred for none. <laughs> so, you know, what that means to me is, you know, just we have to open up from a global perspective um, when it comes to renewables, I think there's a big um, push to bring uh, renewable energy to places like Africa, 
the Middle East, and places, you know, people that don't have um, what we have, even in this country. So love for, love for all, HFNI. Wonderful. Thank you, Steve. All right. I want to thank both you, uh, Steve and Judith, for uh, doing this show today. This is really, really, really informative. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.